um, Chris and Stacy Hatchett. Chris is the campus minister for the South Lake campus of the Hills Church over in Fort Worth. And Stacy is a teacher at Fort Worth Christian. What grade? First. First grade. Awesome. Um, we go way back with the Hatchets. They were Julie's youth minister, uh, youth ministers in junior high and high school. And he was kind of a he was a youth minister for me. I didn't really have a youth minister of continuity at the church I was a part of. And so Chris was my mentor, and they have been friends and mentors for us for. A long, long time. Chris married us. They did our our premarital counseling, and here it is, almost 12 years later, wow. and we're we're still together. And I'm here up once again. So thank you very much. Um, so married 25 years, have three kids, senior in college. Freshman in college, sophomore. sophomore in college, and freshman in high school. Mm-hmm. Very good. So they are awesome and a lot of fun and really wise and I'm looking forward to getting to hear some from them. So with no further ado, right. go for it. Thank you. It's our honor to be here. We, uh, It's fun for me because really even from the outset of Storyline, been prayerful and praying on different things for Charles and Julie, and so it's exciting for us to just be able to to uh, be here with y'all. So thank y'all for letting us come in and uh, share with you a little bit. We titled this Marriage Uncut because uh, one thing, I, I may say one of our strengths, it may be a weakness, is we're very transparent. And so uh, we're just going to discuss uh, marriage not because we feel like we have it all figured out. And I also know that there's some of y'all that are married, some that aren't. But uh, we're going to just talk about things that if you're not, maybe somewhere down the road, you'll have in the back of your head, hey, we heard something on that before. And uh, it's our goal anytime, just as we talk about marriage, to throw things out that we know probably aren't new, uh, may not be earth shattering by any means, but they're good for us to hear again. And so uh, we start with a video of one of our favorite marriages. And uh, I think hopefully y'all can hear this. So where are these laws we're looking for? <laughs> where are the laws? Today I took Miss Kay to find some pine cypress logs for my duck blinds. You know, this is like being in the pioneer days. Yeah, I'm I 
Facebook family, and y'all know what I mean by that, in that in today's society, we can show just what we want to show in social networking and things like that, and everybody always seems so perfect. And Stacey and I always want to talk before, anytime we're talking or sharing on marriage, is to say that uh, we we know we're not perfect. We're not here today to, to say, hey, be like us. Because we can show a picture of our family, and then if you really look closer at our son that's on the far right, that has the puffy eyes there, because right before this, his brother stepped on his foot in his cowboy boots <laughs> on purpose, and our son was crying, and we had to be like, no, quit crying and get in the family picture. <laughs> and we can all show those moments that we just want to show the good times. And that's where we say why this is marriage uncut, because it's not all good times. But that doesn't mean that it's not all good either. And so the first thing that that we say is to allow your marriage to be unique. Uh, As we watch Phil and Kay and we watch Duck Dynasty, or you see different marriages that work, uh, 50 years that they've been married, it's a unique marriage. Our, Our marriage is going to be unique. And so what we would tell you, even as we talk to you today, the first thing we want you to know, allow your marriage to be unique. Kind of hand in hand with that is there's not, there's not a mold. There's not one way your marriage should look. There's not a mold. There's, there's really just a model. And so hopefully that's kind of one of the things that we're going to give you. you. We'll tell you more, you know, dysfunction than you probably want to know about us and some of our journey. But um as Chris said, we're not holding ourselves up to go do it like this. But one of the things that we did do was we took a look at um, at good marriages and people that we knew and people that we were close to, and we asked questions and we we watched and we learned from them. And then we took those things um, that would work for us and then applied them to our marriage. Because something that works for us and something that we do 
part of the reason it works is because it combines our personalities and our likes and our dislikes. And so even if we said this is the best thing we've ever done for our marriage, it may not be for you. So, um, you know, use the things that you can use that we give you and tweak the things and go, I don't think that would work for us, but maybe that's something we should talk about. So hopefully that will be something that you can get from tonight. Stacy said there's no mold, but there's a model. Really the model that we use for marriage comes from Ephesians 5. And uh, it says, as the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and his mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So again, I say each man must love his wife as he loves himself and the wife must respect her husband. The model for us in marriage is how Christ loved the church. And so uh, for me, as we talk about, and Paul says, it's a great mystery what he's talking about here when he's, you know, if you remember that, uh, that passage starts with wives submit to your husband and men love that verse. And then the very next verse is, but, but husbands love your wives like Christ loved the church. And so Paul's talking about this love in your marriage, but then he goes, but I'm really, this is a great mystery. I'm really talking about how Christ, I'm talking about Christ in the church. See, one of the things that I believe is that our marriages are the best example of the gospel to the world that we have. And I believe Paul lays that foundation because uh, we love each other in God's love in a way that should show people out in the world, man, that's how God loves uh, Chris and Stacy have stuck with each other through thick and thin. That's how God is with us. He loves us that much. And uh, when you think about that Christ died for the church, husbands, that's the call to us. Love our wives like Christ loved the church. And I always talk about in that that there's uh, that, that love that we always do the grandiose things, but are we willing to die to ourselves like Christ died. And that's the model for us. Um, but as Stacy said, we're for sure not the model. Because what happens, what we tend to do is when you compare other things, you compare what you know about yourself to what you don't know about other people. And I think that's one of the biggest mistakes that we make when we see what we think are these great marriages or these great relationships where, you know, you may elbow your husband ladies and be like I wish you were more like that you know well you're comparing what you know about yourself to what you don't know about other people and uh, as Stacy said some of our story about seven years into our marriage uh, we had two little kids we were chasing them we were I was a youth minister so I was gone a lot of the time and Finally, at the end of a summer, one summer, uh, we just Stacy said, "Man, it's this has to be better than this. Our marriage has it's got to be better than this." And we went to marriage counseling, and periodically go back because we need tune-ups in our relationship. Uh, but you know, I can throw the good Facebook family up for you. I can come in and we can talk to you about do this, do this, do that, but. Our marriage is what it is because we made a foundational commitment to Christ that we were going to love each other. When we stood up and said our vows, it was as much a vow to Christ as it was to each other.
You know, I think one of those things, um, when we got to that point where we thought, okay, we, we had kind of talked about the counseling or threatened it sometimes more than, than not. Um, but we, we weren't talking about divorce. It wasn't like we were on our, you know, last leg. We just, I said, we fight about the same things all the time. It just changes a little bit, but it's constantly the same issues. And we, it's kind of like the chicken and the egg. Well, I know I do that, but I do that because you do this. Well, I do that. And we had just gotten in this cycle. And so we needed some tools to figure out how to get past some of those, those bumps in the road. And one of the things that I think is most important he does premarital counseling a lot, and I sit in on some of that. Um, and one of the things that we say, if we can give you some tools, and, and if you can get those tools in place, then you, no matter what you know, life throws at you, you'll have the tools that you need to, to work through those. And really, the, the, one of the most important tools is communication. And so the next point on there is work to communicate. And we, we chose the word work there because it, it really, to do it well and to do it right, it's work. Um, so here we're not talking about, you know, conversation because a lot of times, you know, there would be times where I would say, well, we're just not talking. We talk all the time. I don't mean chit-chat. I mean like deep talk. Like I want to know about your day and I want to know about your feelings and I want to tell you about my feelings. And communication, being able to tell you, um, you know, when things are good and things are bad, and that sometimes takes work. Um, especially, now, those of you, you may not get a good snapshot of who we are in this time, but we both are babies of the family, and um, we both think we're right most of the time. And so that leads for some interesting communication, um, which also means that if, I, I, if I'm thinking it or I'm feeling it, you're probably going to know it. I mean, I just don't, I don't hold much back, and neither does he. But I realize that's not everybody's, um, that's not everybody's personality. And... Um, kind of with that, if you look at the next point, don't assume, though, that because there's no conflict, that means that there's no problem. Because depending on your personality or the personality of your spouse or somebody that you're in a relationship with, you're like, um, everything seems to be going fine. But it really may be that the other person just doesn't like conflict. And so they're going to avoid bringing something up that could be controversial, even if it's something that needs to be talked about. But... I want to encourage you not to do that. I want to encourage you to to talk about things, talk about your feelings, talk about what's hurtful, even if it's going to be possible conflict. Because you can probably all think of somebody that on the outside, everybody else thought their relationship was great. I mean, they're, you know, they always seemed happy and they always seemed to get along. And then all of a sudden you hear they're getting a divorce and you're like, what? What happened? And sometimes one person is literally shocked that the other person was so unhappy. And what's behind that is this other person was holding in all of these things that they had just been, these hurt feelings and these things that they didn't feel their needs were getting met, and they never told them. Well, the other thing that that does is when you don't tell the other person the things that hurt your feelings or the things that you need that they're not doing for you, you're not even allowing them the opportunity to change. And so sometimes you wait until you've just had it and you're, you're, you know, there's, you've hardened your heart and there's no love left. And then you're like, I'm done. Well, I could have changed or I was, or I would, let me try, let me try. Well, you, you didn't even give them the opportunity to try to change. And so those aren't always fun conversations, but um, they're important conversations. And so learning how to do conversation and conflict right is kind of one of the things that we want to spend a little bit of time on. There's 
uh, I think on the back, on the last part of that outline, some resources we recommend. But one of our favorite books for communication is The Five Love Languages. I don't know if y'all have read that or not, but is a principle that you communicate love the way you feel loved. And one of the parts of working hard to communicate is learning how your, how your spouse or your boyfriend or girlfriend feels loved and speak in love that way. Because we all tend to be wired selfishly. And so we, you know, with us, there's five love languages that it talks about. Quality time, words of affirmation, physical touch, acts of service, and gifts. I'm a physical touch, uh, love language with words of affirmation. So when I'm a state, you know, I'm going to hold her hand, I'm going to be touchy, feely. Well, that's how I'm letting her know I love her. But if she doesn't, if that's not her love language, I'm really not telling her I love her in a way she understands. Because her love language, uh, and it changes. That's why I always say women. Guys, I'm like, I tell guys all the time, work to learn their love language, but understand once you learn it, they'll change it. (laughs) Because that's just how they are. But it was quality time. And so... uh, you know, an acts of service. And so even though I'm letting her know physically that I love her, that's not speaking her language and vice versa. She's spending this quality time with me. And I'm like, yeah, well, quality time would in, would include some physical touch. And, you know, so we're you know, some, spend some quality time somewhere else. But, but it's really literally like I speak English and she speaks Spanish and I'm working real hard to tell her I love her in English, but she doesn't understand it. And so part of your communication process for us, five love languages, when we read that book, it made it so much under it made so much come clear to us. When we do marriage counseling now, it may be in a different guise or it may come up a different way, but we'll walk off from that and we'll go, that was classic. She's this love language and he's this one. And so we're pretty simplistic, but we really highly recommend that book uh, as you learn to communicate. The next point, though, that was a little bit life changing to us is don't assign motives. Um, This has been something that that we have learned more and more that so often our fights aren't necessarily caused by what was actually said, but the motives that we assign to it. And there's a book, it's on there as well, it's called The Anatomy of Peace. It's actually a business principles book. But when I read that book, I said, I told Stacy, you've got to read this because it has so much about relationship in it that pertains to marriage. And it, in this book, they talk about a box. And uh, I'll show you this and what it does, that it starts with what one person does. And I, I put it as she or he. This could be in your work environment. It could be two males. It could be two females, whatever. But in the marriage relationship, she does something. She insists that I do as she asks. She complains. She badgers. That's where this kind of starts. That's what I'm perceiving what she does. She uh, wants me to make the bed. Okay? And I've never understood why I need to make the bed because I'm getting back in it later that day. And she's got about 14 pillows that have to all be up there. <laughs> no, but I'm about to you know, and she wants me to do that. And so 
Um, when she does that, I see her as an object. I see her as demanding, unreasonable, as a nag. And one thing that you realize as you start looking at this box is once we start seeing people as objects, when we start seeing each other as objects, that's where it all starts falling apart. So she insists I do as she asks. She complains. She badgers. I see her as an object, demanding, unreasonable. I see her as a nag. And so what do I do? I protest. I'm going to teach her. Or I might comply, but I'm doing it with attitude. For example, we have the rule, whoever's in bed last makes it up. So I may make it up, but when I'm upset with her, but I may leave it a little bit crooked. I may fling the pillows up there and I'm complying, but I'm doing it with an attitude. And so uh, she then sees me as an object that's self-centered, inconsiderate, immature. And so you see this box and really the authors talk about being in a box with each other. We see this applying with our kids. Any of y'all have teenagers or have had teenagers, you can see how you start getting in this box with each other. So because she sees me as an object that's self-centered, inconsiderate, immature, she insists I do as she asks. She complains. She badgers. And we just stay in that box with each other. And so the question is, and we've even started using this terminology one day, she came home after bringing our freshman high school home, she goes, Caleb and I are just in the box with each other. Because I'm doing this, and he's reacting that way, and so I'm reacting that way. And so what this has taught me to do is start stop assigning some motives to her. And so once we get in this box, we found the best way to get out of it is, again, employing a, a, a biblical principle. Um, yes. Yeah. Um, but before that, though, I think um, another example of oh, that. Oh, I didn't tell my motive story. Yeah. Did I? Yeah. This, this book really challenges you not to assign motives to each other. And how this worked out in our life, this is completely ridiculous, but um, maybe oh, y'all can relate. Anyway, one day, one night at home, I, just, I got some Bluebell ice cream. And I sat down to watch TV and eat ice cream. Well, I'm always, I'm the fat kid up here, and that's always my struggle a little bit. And she walks by and looks at me. I said it like this. Oh, we have Bluebell? Oh, oh, no, I no, I didn't. I said, oh, you're eating Bluebell? And what I heard was, you're a fat slob. You're eating ice cream? Because that's what I heard, because I assign a motive to her. And literally, this is what happens. I get mad. I don't say anything. I get mad because I've got this game going on in my head of what she meant. And I go upstairs with my ice cream and I'm eating up there. And I'm getting madder and madder. I can't believe she's making fun of me for eating. I can't believe she thinks that. I can't believe. And all she was going was she didn't realize we had Bluebell and she was wanting some. But in my mind, I'm assigning this rabbit trail that I'm starting to go down to where I just read this book. And so I get up and I come back downstairs. I said, I need to apologize to you because I got mad when you said that about the ice cream. She had no clue. I didn't even remember even saying, I said, what did I say about the ice cream? You said you're eating ice cream. I was like, 
uh, yeah, I think I said like you're eating ice cream, like we have ice cream. And so it, it sounds silly, but sometimes you you find yourself in this little bit of a dance where you assign motive of, you know, why you do something or, or you, well, you did that because what you really were thinking. Or you said that, but what you really were thinking was, and so you assign motive that, that you don't even know for sure is really there until you ask that and communicate it. And, and sometimes you find yourself in a pattern where you have assigned motive and you've decided that that's what this person is and that's why they do it. And even when you realize okay, I really don't think that's fair, and I really think that's probably not what's going on, you find yourself, you find it difficult to get out of that thought pattern that you've assigned them to. For example, and I don't think I used this term exactly, but he thinks she I did. did. I think the counselor used it. But somehow um, he says I labeled him as needy, and I don't remember using needy, but um, but he did have a lot of needs that he needed me to fill, so I guess that makes me needy. <laughs> But what happened, this is probably, and we're going to get into a lot more information than y'all want to know, but when we were first married, you know, all of a sudden you make that shift to, um, well, you know, you can have sex any time. And so that was exactly what his thought was, apparently. So when he would come home from work. We had a license. (laughs) Well, you know, he'd sit next to me on the couch and reach over to hold my hand, and it wasn't just to hold my hand anymore. It was going somewhere every single time. And I'm like, can you just hold my hand? How about just hold my hand? And so I found myself getting frustrated that, can you just hold my hand? So I started like going, okay, just hold my hand. Oh, can't hold my hand. Don't get to hold my hand. And I know that sounds ridiculous. But so I started like figuring out, you know, okay, well, if I can't meet all of his needs, there's no way that I can be responsible for fixing all of this. So um, <laughs> I didn't mean it like that. But I mean, you know, they can't like, imagine that you said I was mean. <laughs> so, so anyway, I realized I have developed this pattern of, of how I think of him, and then I realized that's not even fair. I mean, he's he's made changes. We've talked about things. He's tried to change and improve some things that I've said I, I need this differently. But in my mind, I was still trying to overcome this picture that I had of him as needy and so when he came home from work and wanted to give me a hug I would almost find myself you know bracing for what came next and I had labeled that and I realized I don't want to be that way I don't want to do that anymore but how do I fix that when that's what I'm thinking and that's what I'm feeling and um, so in marriage counseling one of the things that um, that he said that really helped is in Philippians 4 8 um, and a lot of counselors use this. It, they just don't always put it with the scripture. But it really is straight from God's word. And it is, um, you just flip through to the very end. You better back that up. Um, <laughs> Philippians 4, it says, Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. And so what I had to do was I had to start reminding myself of the good the good qualities and the things that he was doing and the things that he was doing for me. And um, part of his job was, it was like, a two, our assignment was like for two weeks. I was supposed to remind myself of those things. You know, he's he's coming in to hug me and to, um, you know, say, how was your day? Because he cares about me. And so I'm repeating those things in my mind about him that are good and right and true. And for those two weeks, his his goal was to only do things that were of that same motive, that were right and true and pure and worthy of me finding praise. 
And I'm really not exaggerating when I say in two weeks, I, I felt this shift. I felt my mind shift. I felt the way I looked at him shifted. And I was able to see those things in him that I wanted to see. God wants us to to have a picture of marriage that other people see and that they go, oh, that's what it looks like when you love God. And I... I and I couldn't do that if I was focusing on the other things. And so he's going to honor our desire to, to love our spouse in the way that he wants it, the way that shows the world that we love each other. And so in that time when I was thinking about things that were right and good, those things started to come. Um, that's a real important thing when you've had something in your marriage that's very hurtful, um, whether it's infidelity or you know, a, an argument or something that, you know, that is major or, or caused a trust issue, this becomes real important because you have some decisions. Are you going to continue to think about how things were and, and dwell on those things, or are you going to make a choice to start thinking about your spouse in a different way? Because we all can look and pick apart things that we don't like, but that's really what you're going to do is you're going to find those more and more annoying because that's what you're focusing on. And so you have to make a choice to start shifting and looking at things differently and start finding things about your spouse that are those things. Um, and it, it's just, you know, a gift from God that then they switch and then they're finding things about you because it's easier for them to see those things when you're not, you know, in that box of nagging and complaining and why are you doing this? It's just an easy way to kind of get out of that box when you find yourself in that spot. And it is difficult, you know, as she said, we use the word work intentionally because as she talked about infidelity or trust issues, you know, we've worked with some couples just even recently that the husband gave her a reason to not trust him. He's messed up in the past. Well, now he's not, but she's so obsessed with thinking that he is that she's killing herself. And, you know, his phone rings and she thinks he's outside talking to somebody else or she's thinking all the bad things but finally one time Stacy goes what what is it going to hurt you if you just assume the best well I might get hurt again well yeah but what you're doing to yourself right now is way worse than that because uh, we can get ourselves out of that box by thinking about things that are true and admirable. And hopefully they'll live up to that. Now, they don't always do that. We're not saying that. But living in this box of distrust and seeing each other as objects isn't good either. Uh, Our next point on here with communication is that when and how you say it is just as important as what you're saying. You know, when and how you say it. As Stacy said, we're both real open, blunt people will, we can use honesty as a weapon sometimes too. And we beat each other over the head with, well, I was thinking it, so I have to say it. Well, when you say it and how you say it makes a difference. Early on, we talked about quality time. Uh, there was a way Stacy could communicate to me, hey, you're not really spending time to where I would hear it. Or there was another way she could say it and I wouldn't hear it at all. Um, this after we did this talk once, somebody said, are there any stories where you don't seem like an idiot? And unfortunately not. But early, uh, early in our marriage, my dad traveled all the time. And so it was just my mom and I, and I was a third child. 
and dinner was she and I sitting in front of the television. And um, so Stacy's family all ate together and talked about their day. When we got married, that's what she assumed we would do. And that was a shift for me. And she was eight months pregnant probably with our first daughter. She was big pregnant. And we were eating dinner. And I didn't see any problem with this, but I had the newspaper at the dinner table. And as she was talking to me, I was reading the paper doing the... He's doing what Phil was doing. Mm-hmm. You know, giving her that. And, and she finally says something to the effect of, you don't even want to spend time with me. And I said completely innocently, well, look at you. Why would I want to spend time with you? I don't see y'all get that. <laughs> <laughs> meaning, meaning the way she was coming after me, why would I want to spend time with her the way we're fighting, not thinking she's eight months pregnant when I said, well, look at you. Why would I, you know. I will well, say the moment he said it, he realized, because I went, and he went, But I'm not laying that on her, but there's ways then that she learned through our marriage when to say, hey, you're not here. You're not focused. And so how we can learn to talk to each other that way makes a big difference. Timing is, is everything. Timing is important. And one of the things that we found out was Sometimes you can save up those things and bring it up at a different time, and it makes all the difference. Um, when you know you have something kind of controversial or something that you need to bring up that could be, you know, emotional or you just don't know kind of what the outcome of that is going to be, you know, get a babysitter, go out to eat, and go to a restaurant and talk about it because it's you're you're in a different environment. You're you know, there's other people listening. We've probably embarrassed a few waiters in our day when, you know, because it seems like our controversy was always, you know, about sex. And so they would be either come, either they would not come back to the table or they kept coming to refill his water quite often. <laughs> Both of those things. But, but we thought if we were kind of on neutral ground and we there weren't all these other things, we could talk about the issues and, and see them a little differently because you're not probably going to start, you know, screaming and, you know, when you know all these other people are watching. So you just kind of have a different, you know, a different mindset when you go into that conversation than when you do it at night in the bedroom at the moment when your feelings are hurt or when, you know, your emotions are, are, are most wrong. And one of the things that we'll share with you that made such a huge difference in us is what we call the 15-minute rule. And... We adapted that from counseling, but we also got it uh, back in college. There was a professor that talked about the four most important minutes of the day. And we've expanded that to the 15-minute blocks. And that's the 15 minutes right after you wake up, 15 minutes before you leave each other for the day, 15 minutes when you get back together at the end of the day, and then the 15 minutes before you go to bed. And that those are the most important minutes of your day And relationally, what we did is we call those no new information zones, and we protect those times. Now, as Stacy already said, one of the biggest times of conflict for us was right before bed. Because typically, on that day, with little kids, we finally get them to bed, we've both worked or whatever, and the time we get in bed, and it seemed like that would be when we'd have the biggest conversations. That may be that she'd been paying bills and I didn't write down a couple of checks or things like that and we talk about it then. 
or I was hoping maybe that I was going to get lucky when we finally got into bed and that wasn't going to happen. And so we would bring that up and we're the most tired. That's the worst place to do it. But we would bring those things up right before we went to bed. And a typical interaction for us would be that we'd start talking, we'd start arguing. Uh, I, I hurt with words when you're a minister, I guess, and you speak for a living. You hurt with words, too. And so my feelings would get hurt. I'd start cutting her down. She'd either start crying or she'd just roll over and turn away from me. And I'd think she was asleep. I found out later she wasn't. She just wasn't going to keep fighting. And so I'd lay there in bed and I'd thump the headboard. Or I'd be like, ah, or shake my feet like I'm not done. And sometimes if she would keep arguing, we'd fight for another two hours. And then we'd both be tired the next morning. And so we started labeling that as no new information zones. And so for me, it was the hardest thing because I'd have these things that I felt like were so pressing. And I just have to say, wait, and we'll talk about it tomorrow. Because we misuse the scripture, right? Don't let the sun go down on your anger. We think that means we can't go to bed mad. And I think the more I read that scripture, I realize he's kind of talking, don't carry anger into seasons. Don't let it keep riding. But I don't think he meant you need to fix it that night. So I'd not bring it up. And the next morning I think, okay, I'm going to bring that up. And I go, it's really stupid. You know, I don't need to talk about it. You know, and so we're not saying bury things. We've already talked about Talk them out. But they're a better time. Or sometimes what I thought was pressing that night, once I slept, it wasn't that big of a deal. Another big time for us was at the end of the, when we get back together at the end of the day. Because Stacy was stay-at-home mom when our kids were young. And various things would happen throughout the day. Or the air conditioner would go out. or what. And I've had a stressful day at work. I come in. She meets me at the door. You're not going to believe what happened. You're not going to. And immediately I just flare up stress wise because I haven't had any time to get home and decompress. I had a lot of words I hadn't had anybody to use with all day long. So I'd saved them up when he got home. Well, And then I realized how, how rude of me really to hit him with. Hey, first the air conditioner broke. And Colby had, you know, there was usually a Colby story with, you know, and then Carly, and I just would unload all of my, and boy, I felt better after that. But, you know, here he is, well, welcome home. You know, I just made him this this ball of nerves and stress, and I just never really even, to me, that was a way of connecting. I just was going to tell him all about my day and tell him how that all went. In five minutes. Yeah. Without giving him any time to even get used to just being back in the house. And so even little things like, you know, when he comes in and welcoming home, you know, giving me a kiss. And then he he can sit down and watch TV or whatever. And I'm making dinner. And then, you know, we've had some little chit-chat. And I go, well, I need to tell you something about today. It's, it comes out different than when you hit him with it at those times. Um, another, you know, you have to find when your times are. It may be... Well, even on that, though, even on the phone, she realized she'd call me, hello, you're not going to, the air conditioner, you know, and even that, you know, we started, and our counselor, they actually do a timeout signal, and it'll be like, no, 15 minutes. We never got to that point, but we've started using verbal clues, like Stacy would call me and say, hey, how are you? Good. How's your day? Great. 
Phone's kind of silent for a second. She goes, has it been 15 minutes yet? (laughs) And just that would make me take a deep breath and go, okay, what's going on? What do we need to talk about? And so we employ those things throughout our day like that. So you kind of have to find when your times are. As you know, in first thing in the morning, we don't always get up on the same time. I'm not real, you know, chatty in the morning, so there's really not much I want to talk about first thing in the morning. But there have been a couple of times where you know something will come up before we're leaving. You know, when you've got kids and he was he was still home and had a little bit longer before he had to be somewhere, so he was at the table reading the morning paper and. Caleb couldn't find what not. I mean, I, you know, I have to be at school before my kids get in the classroom. So I, it's like I have a drop-dead time on what time I can be gone. And our youngest one couldn't find, you know, something, didn't have, I don't know what it was. And I was getting more and more stressed. Let's go. I've got to go. you got to have your stuff ready the night before. And he's like, well, I don't know what it is. I'm like, Caleb, he's at the table reading the paper. And I'm about to pop a cork over here. right. And he knows it's going on, but he's just kind of riding it out. And I really... Wanted to just unload right there. Like, will you get up off the... T-? I mean, that I had all of this anger that he was not helping me. And I just wanted, really, my emotions were high. And had I spoke, then I would have made him mad. And he would have gotten defensive. And he would have probably got up and helped find whatever. But then we would have left for the day. I would have complied day. with the attitude. He would have. But he would have helped. But then, <laughs> then, we would have, then we would have left. And we would have had this, you know, ugh. And then you're gone all day, and then you're thinking, well, how are they going to be when we get back together? You know, so then you come back, and you're, you know, you're kind of going, okay, she's so mad. And so you, you, it has a way of going into the next part of your day if that's what you do. So I just went, and out we go. And then after a little while, and I had a little time to process, I got, you know, not so angry. And I started considering motives and thinking, you know, if he really knew how stressed I was, or if I would have said, if I could have said, call me, can you help me? Then he would have said, sure, what do you need? But, you know, so I kind of started processing all this. And so later we get home and we're talking and I said, by the way, this morning when I couldn't get Caleb to get all this stuff together and I, I, I was running late, I said, I wasn't real happy with you. And he said, yeah, I kind of realized that. And so we kind of laughed about it and talked it out. And it wasn't even a, it wasn't even a conflict. I could share with him something that, you know, hey, I really need some help. And he could respond in a way that was like, I'm sorry, next time I'll do that. And there wasn't even a fight because we brought it up at a different time. So finding times to bring up controversial information and kind of find maybe a neutral spot are two things that can be helpful. As we say, your time of conflict may be not in one of those time periods, but I'd say if you have conflict that keeps coming up, protect that time. See how you can address it a little bit differently. Uh, Our third take is on concentrate on staying connected. Uh, We really feel like in today's world, and I'm going to say, I know there were various ages here, but today's 20s, 30 generation, this is a completely different battle than it's been before. Our daughter's 22, has a serious boyfriend. They'll probably get married in a year or so. When they're in our house, they'll sit on the couch, and he's on his phone and she's on her phone. You know, we have couples that we're around all the time, and we'll talk to them and yeah, at night I'm on my iPad. He's on his computer. You know, used to work stayed at work stayed at the office, 
and now work can go with you wherever you are. And you really have to concentrate on staying connected. Uh, I, I, I always want to tell couples that. I, I try to make a practice. I'll bring my computer home, but very seldom do I get on my laptop when I'm at home, and that's our time. Uh, <clears throat> I was talking about one of my elders calling me and leaving me a voicemail at like 1.30 this week because he had to take himself to the hospital at 1.30 in the morning. He left me a message. I turn my phone off at 10 o'clock. It's one of my boundaries. I have a home phone. I tell people all the time, if you got a real emergency, call me on my home phone because I'm turning my phone off. And I see so many people today, so many marriages, that they're never disconnected from media. And I just... A word of warning, you've got to concentrate on staying connected in today's society. Because um, I think one of the things that depends on, you know, kind of what Chris was saying earlier about love language, your presence doesn't necessarily mean that you're present. Um, and that was one of the things that I think, you know, Chris was sharing earlier that he had to figure out. If we were in the same house, well, we were spending time together. Or if we were in the same room, we were spending time together. And that's not the same thing. Just because you're in proximity doesn't mean you're with each other. So you, you may have to, you need to do this on purpose. It needs to be an intentional thing. Um, even if you find one time a week where you say, okay, let's schedule in what is your what's your week looking like all right thursday you know even if it's you know we're going to get the kids to bed early and you know you've got all of this project done and i'll do this and then you know let's watch a movie or let's you know whatever you're just you're finding some time to be intentional about spending time together um his day off is friday and because he sunday is a work day for him well when our kids were little I looked forward to Friday. I couldn't wait for him to be off on Friday so that we could do something together. And it could have been like, you know, going. he was going to go grocery shopping with me. Or maybe Carla needed a new pair of shoes. It wasn't anything super exciting. But in my mind, we were going to be together. Well, in his mind, we didn't have any plans. And so if somebody called and said, hey, you want to go play golf? Well, he would say, hey, they want to know if I can go play golf. Can I go? Well, what he just, well, this took this took marriage counseling to figure this out. Because what happened, what he was telling me when he asked me if he could go play golf on the day that I could, thought was going to be our day to do something, was what he just told me was, if he was asking to go play golf, then that's what he'd rather do. So I'm kind of in a, I'm kind of in a crack if I say, sure, yeah, go. Then um, my feelings are hurt because he's going, but if I say no, he's going to go, well, what are we going to do? And so... What the marriage counselor said to him, he said, when you when you asked that on something that was in her mind today that y'all had planned, what you've told her is, you're not as important as that. You so might you as might well as well go ahead and go, because well just go. asking the question. And she had told me that, and I didn't hear it. He was like, I don't get it. What? And I couldn't explain it. Um, so it's not that I have anything against golf. It was just I thought in my mind that was going to be a day or a time when we were going to do something together. And so it didn't matter if he was busy all week and we didn't really have time to connect or talk or do anything because in my mind that was going to be Friday. And so if he picked something else over that, it, it hurt my feelings. So one of the things that we learned was find time to schedule it. And it's both understood. It's not, you know, your feelings aren't hurt because you thought it was, but you didn't think there was anything. And so we kind of protected Fridays for us. 
And then if somebody called on Saturday and said, you want to go play golf? I didn't care. I really didn't care. It was, it was a weird thing. If I knew we had Friday and he played, he had something on Tuesday or he went to the Ranger game with somebody on Thursday, that was okay. Um, Which made no sense to me, guys. I'm just saying. Made no sense. Where Saturday was okay, but Friday wasn't. But once that came through loud and clear, we were all good. And we kind of had to figure out even some seasons. You know, for him, in the youth ministry, summer was a busy time. I mean, he was gone a lot and going. You know, if you're in, you know, accounting, it's probably your tax season. But, you know, those times where you're not going to spend a lot of time and things are stressful, one of the things that we started doing was when we knew that there was going to be a season where things were going to be busy, we planned something together. We, you know, we would go... Somebody watched the kids and we'd go, you know, to in town a hotel or, you know, a bed and breakfast or something that, that we played for I the two of us. Julie watched the kids. Yes, she, yeah, Julie would watch the kids frequently with that. And then at that time, we would set a time for what we were going to do at the end of it. So we had set a day on our calendar in, you know, August, whatever. We were loading the kids up and we were heading to Colorado. And literally for years, he would finish the senior retreat. And he would drive in, and I would have the car packed, and he would he would get out, and we would take off and head, you know, as far as we could go that night. And that, in the summer when things were busy and things were crazy and we weren't connecting, and I, we knew we had that time that we were going to look forward to, that, all right, we just have a couple months and we can make it to then. And so if you set some things in there that kind of safeguard those busy times, and when your kids are little, it is hard. I mean, it's stressful. It's all hands on deck. You don't get much sleep. And there's just not a whole lot of time for communicating, just, you know, sitting around and chatting. You could think, oh, wouldn't that be great? But the thing I kept trying to tell Chris, too, when, especially for moms, and, if, and whether you're a stay-at-home mom or whether you work, they always need something. I mean, somebody's always needing it. Somebody's needing their nose wiped or their diaper changed. or You know, there's just all of these things that you have to be on for all the time. And it's really hard to still make your marriage a priority and be on and make that something. Because they don't, you know, they don't cry as loud. It takes them a little longer before they start, you know, you start seeing signs of the, you know, I'm not getting my needs met over here. Because so. I'm needy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty needy too. But you just didn't label me that, I guess. Um, so, one of the next things. Really, one of the best ways to stay connected, as we're talking about connected, is your sexual relationship. So prioritize your sexual relationship because it's important. It's we forget sometimes. I think I know. Save the best for last. Yeah, save the best for last. I know when you get married, and you know you can't. We I, we can wait to get married. I can wait to get married. That was one of the things I kept going. Let's move this wedding up. I can wait for that. And then all of a sudden you're married, and it's like, oh, okay. And it's not It's that, a bait and switch. <laughs> but it's so easy for other things to become, you know, more important. Like I was saying, your kids and the needs and all those things. And it's easy to kind of set that on the back burner a little bit. But I think we forget, in God's Word, He says, the reason you get married, if you can't, be single. If you can't abstain from sexual, you know, if that's an important thing for you, then look for a spouse and get married. That's one of the main reasons he says to get married. And then all of a sudden we get married and we're like, yeah, well. And, and I say this, and the reason that I'm saying it is because I, for most couples, 
men tend to be more, um, and I don't want to use the word need, but I'm going to. They tend to, that tends to be more important. How's that for a better word? The sexual relationship tends to be more important for them as far as frequency. And for women, we were like, yeah, it's been three days. That's okay. And it's probably not with them. And so it's harder for us to figure out how to get on the same page. Because this is one thing I tell him all the time. I will never, ever, ever understand how your brain works, how you think about sex that often. What else do you, don't you have other things to think about in the day? How do you think about sex that many times in a day? I have no, I've seen statistics. It's staggering. I don't know. I just don't get that. But here's the thing. He doesn't get how I don't think about that. He's like, how do you not think about that? I'm like, because I'm thinking about I've got this, and I've got this, and now I've got to do this, and I've got to do dinner before that. I've got to go to the grocery store. That's what we're thinking about. And for the longest time, that hurt his feelings. And I said, it is not it is not you. It's not anything about you. And I love that part of our relationship, but I don't think about that as often as you do. And so because I don't think about it as often as you do, that is not something that I prioritize as much as he does. I always say I want, in in moments of clarity, like right now, I want her to think like a woman all the time except when it comes to sex. Then I want her to think like a man. You know, And that's not fair to her. Uh, another book that's a resource there is for men only or for women only. Uh, they're two different books. I need to read the book for men only once a year because it discusses why she thinks the way she does, how she thinks she is, because I always thought she was the only woman that ever thought that way, right? Because <laughs> media, everything else says differently. But I need to read that book to realize God made her exactly how she is for a reason, and that's what I love about her. But I buy into this that it needs to be different. Um. But on that, and we've had, we, because as you can tell, we will speak real openly about a lot of things. And we have talked to different classes at church and different things like that and, and had kind of a question answer. You could, all right, if there's anything you want to know, write it down. We'll talk about it. And so they would turn in questions. And a couple of times you'll get questions about, okay, so you're saying that's important, but what's fair? Can we have a number of can we have a number? Can we get it? Can we get a number? And and here's the thing I will tell you. That question comes obviously from somebody who's not on the same page. And so for everybody it's different. But here is the thing that I think is important and I'm gonna, and I'm saying it because I think as women it's harder for us. We don't have the same drive, we don't have the same needs that they do, but it is important that we realize that and that we meet those needs. It just is. It's, and and I, I think if if he is happy and he is content and he knows that I love him and I'm going to meet those needs, he's not going to look to somebody else to do that. And um, and it's difficult because I'm not I'm not saying that's always easy. I'm like seriously. I mean, it it really is something I will never understand. I mean, but if it is if it is if you're going weeks or in some cases people that we've talked to months, and that's not a part of your relationship, it needs to be. I would encourage you to ask for help, to, to find counseling, because it, there's probably something else there, and it can be great, and it can be wonderful, and it can be a great and wonderful part of your relationship. 
And sometimes it's not for another reason, but don't just push that aside and go, that's not really that important. We get along. We're great friends. Our friendship is good. Our relationship is good. That part will buy time. It really is It's not something that you want to let a lot of time pass. Um, and that's where it. I say sometimes it can be um, a constant battle, but I am thankful. If He's the kind of person where, um, you know, for – for weeks, things may be great, but if we have a like a one-week period where we're not getting along or things aren't great, our marriage stinks. I mean, he's like, it stinks. I mean, we're I'm never going to... He just will, and I'm like, well, last week you thought it was great. So, you know, we, we have to get on that same page, but I think, you know, the thing that's good about that is we can't just let a lot of grass grow under our feet. I mean, literally, if things aren't just clicking right along for... You know, for a few days or a week, he's calling me on it. And, and I'm not even just talking about just the sexual thing. I mean, just connection or talking or whatever. You know, he's not satisfied with that. And, we're, and sometimes I'm like, it's just been a few days. It'll get better. The other part of that is we don't, it's allowed us to not just push things under the rug and go, ah, it's, you know, it's not really a big deal right now because, it, you know, it becomes a big deal if you if you let that part just kind of... Early in our relationship, she was, I didn't know this at the time, but she was talking to her mom about the frequency question. Her mom said, I think three times a week is fair. I was like, yes, I have the best mother-in-law ever. <laughs> that is like yeah. awesome. I've she told my mom that we've talked about that in class. But just so you know, if you ever come to class with us in our Young Married class, you may get a couple of pats on the back, but... You know, here's why. And she goes, I don't remember saying that, but well, that's for me. <laughs> that works. That works for me. But um, I was glad I had, a, you know, a relationship with my mom that I could ask that because that is something that, you know, sometimes you're like, what, you know, what is fair? But so I'm not going to put a number on it unlike my mom did. But um, <laughs> it is something that if you're not on the same page, then take a look at, and he has to, he has to be fair, too, because if he said what's fair to him, every day would be fair to him. And I'm like, well, that's not going to be doable, so come up with plan B. So, you know, we have to find, we both have to give and take a little bit, but it, it is important. We discussed, and she didn't use those words, but that was what the point Stacy was talking about there, is that it makes the distinction between marriage and friendship. But we were discussing this once in our young couples class, and one of our elders' wives um, asked if she goes Chris can I say something I was like sure and she goes she goes she wanted to address the lady she goes we spend so much time fighting about this that if you would just go ahead and make love with your husband you'd be done and asleep when you're still fighting about it and she said these words which are some of my favorite words ever in a Bible class environment she said, there's nothing wrong with the quickie. <laughs> I love this church. I've got an elder's wife saying quickie in church. But, uh, she, she was talking about, she goes, we fight so much about it. She goes, if y'all just do a quickie, you'd be asleep and you'd feel a lot better the next day. And then she actually used it to this terminology. She said, when you think about your diet, she goes, sometimes there's just nothing wrong with the bag of chips. She goes, you don't want a full diet of chips, but there's nothing wrong sometimes with just a bag of chips. And so that's become part of our vocabulary that when Stacy's tired or something, but she knows that I have that need, 
she'll kind of look at me and she goes, do you want a bag of chips? And I'm like, chips are great. <laughs> you know, but as Kim said, you don't just want chips all the time, but uh, there isn't anything wrong with a bag of chips. So that was Charles' favorite thing from this talk. Thank so. God for a bag of chips. <laughs> <laughs> we have gotten some great chips. We talk about chips a lot. <laughs> we did this in a marriage seminar type deal, and I asked for feedback. I said, I think you should give everybody a bag of chips. <laughs> somebody, somebody suggested Funyuns, but you know, I thought that was a great name, but they stink. So I, yeah, yeah, kind of a nasty stink. Well, then we've got just one parting shot for you guys, and that is, don't be afraid to ask for help. Um, we say that in every instance. Uh, in, in so many areas of our life, and guys, I'll especially talk to you right now, we're not afraid to go get our car tuned up. We're not afraid to go get a physical. If we're not feeling right, we go to a doctor. But when things aren't going well in our marriage, guys especially are afraid to go talk to somebody. Because, well, we don't want anybody in our business. Uh, it takes humility for us to go ask for help. One of the hardest things I did, the marriage counselor we saw was on our staff. And I just had to walk across the hall and ask him if we could, if he'd talk to us. But it took me forever to get up the guts to just go do it. But our, we would still be married. I don't doubt that. We weren't going to give up on each other. But after we went to marriage counseling at seven years, on our 10-year anniversary, I remember asking Stacy, uh, did you ever think we'd make it to 10 years? And she said, I knew we'd make it because we weren't going to give up. I just didn't know it could be this good. And we wouldn't have been there if we wouldn't have gone and asked for help. As I started this, to let you know, we're a normal family. As you can tell, we've got plenty of dysfunction in our marriage. Last week was one of those weeks where it was like we just weren't on the same page. We still have to work at it. But we're not afraid to go ask for help when we get in that rut. And so I'd encourage y'all to do the same thing. Uh, we always tell people, do something for your marriage every, at least every year. Go to a marriage seminar. I'm sure I'm not as familiar with Dallas, but like Gateway and Southlake does a free marriage conference every year. Uh, do something to invest in your marriage. Because when Stacey and I go to a marriage conference anymore, we don't hear usually something that we haven't heard before. It's just that it reminds us. When we're driving home from it, we're dialoguing about it. And so pour into your marriage. Don't be afraid to ask for help. Uh, Charles asked if we had time for questions. We do. But I'd like to just pray. And then we'll, uh, if there's any questions or thoughts, we'd love to hear them. God, I just pray your greatest blessings on the marriages that are represented in this room. On those that uh, will be married someday. Uh, and God, if they're... Never, if uh, we choose the life of singleness, God, then we honor and lift that up too. But whatever it is, may we have relationships that bring honor and glory to you, God. Uh, may we look at how Christ loved the church and can we love others that same way. Uh, God, when we reach tough times in relationships, when we uh, have those moments when we're just not communicating the right way, God, would you help us be humble and not be afraid to go seek help? Would we invest time in our relationship to make it stronger? Uh, and then, God, when uh, it's really tough, could we just remember uh, that our marriages are showing this world something about how, how Christ loves us? 
And so, God, may we have that holy calling. So I pray blessing on the relationships in this room and uh, that your church will be stronger because of them, God. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. 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 All right. What uh, what questions or thoughts or whatever you want to offer for the catches to respond to? I don't know. One thought that came to me was on the sexual part of the relationship. I know um, sometimes um, one of the couple can get sick or not be able to have sex for a long time. I know that makes it really hard on the other one. We've talked about that. We haven't experienced that yet, but we've, I just had one of our best friends at 50 had prostate cancer and chose to have his prostate removed. And one of the side effects of that could be uh, his inability to, to have a sexual relationship. And, We've talked about, because I'm in another study right now, this is more of my dysfunction, but a book by Kyle Eidelman called God's at War about idols in our life. And I can too often make that part of our relationship or even make Stacy's uh, participation in that almost an idol that replaces God meeting my needs. And so through some of that, I've just told her, you know, I want you to know if we ever get there, we may have to find other ways to share intimacy. And I don't just mean sexual intimacy, but intimacy. And I hope that we'll do that, that it won't be a deal breaker because of that. But uh, very valid. Deal. I think that's the point, that the sexual relationship is intimacy. I mean, that's really the key to that. Because it's, it's kind of that, you know, if... for. For no other reason, in some ways, you're you're not thinking about yourself. You're thinking about somebody else and connecting with somebody else. And so I think you have to find, in those instances, some other way to connect and be intimate when the sexual relationship can't be part of it. It's a great question. Well, my mother, Mm -hmm. she she told me everything. And uh, she told me the last 15 years that my dad was alive, there Mm -hmm. was no sexual relationship yeah. but she stuck with him to the bitter end until he passed away mm-hmm. yeah. sweet story commitment so I feel like something that's always difficult you to start sure. with whenever you're having sex okay. <laughs> 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 I was getting it. No, um, I'm sure not to the point distract, but for everybody else, lots of people, is the the being present, the like, the media things. I I I just when you were saying that, I was like, man, sometimes I just look over and we we have a TV going and we're each on our own thing, and you know it's like I don't know, it's hard because sometimes it's the first time all day. We like that's part of our unwinding or whatever. You know, it's like that's the first time we try to sit down and check our email or do whatever on the internet, but then it is really frustrating because you go to bed and you're like, I mean, we just had an hour and a half or whatever together and we didn't talk at all, you know, anything. I mean, do y'all, have, do you have any guidelines that y'all have for, like, do you take a certain amount of time for that or do you just say not at all after a certain time or, like, what do you think is best? I mean, I, I, then I start to feel naggy, like, get off the computer, like, we're supposed to be hanging out together and then it's like, well, it's super fun to be hanging out with. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> Look at you. What yeah, <laughs> with you? <laughs> I, I feel like I could probably do that. Well, I mean, I like to read books on electronic devices, but I feel like I could do that. But I feel I would feel bad if Julie couldn't do that because she does. She doesn't sit in front of a computer during the day like I do sometimes, and so a lot of times that's her first time to check Facebook or to catch up on email and. I think but it's, it's all just time we're together. To me, I think it's just having some boundaries. There's, and I read a bunch too, and so I'll throw books out that ever. I realize everybody don't like to read like I do. There's a book called The One Life Solution, that's again kind of a business type book, but talking about us living the same life everywhere we are, home, family, uh, work, being the same person, and that I got different boundaries, like I say of that I turn my cell phone off at this time. And that, uh, so to me, I think it's just, what we talk about talking about it. You just heard from Charles, man, I understand you're not at a computer all the time. You have that need. I think it's just for y'all what works. And the realization that, man, we're not ever talking, then that's a problem. Yeah. We don't, we're not the Kumbaya family. You know, our kids were seven, five, and newborn. So we always had these families that well, every night we do a family devotional, and it's such a spiritual we moment. And we were losers. That that didn't happen in our house. We did you know, a few. We did a few, and there were some good moments. But for us, it's when we realize, hey, it's been a while, and Caleb's just watching TV, and we are too. Let's have a game night. Let's, let's make him... You know, but we have boundaries for our kids too. You know, he gets 30 minutes of video games, or he gets 30 minutes of TV during the week. He doesn't get video games during the week. And then, yeah, we changed it because he was holding up everything for the weekend because he didn't. So his whole weekend, he didn't want to do anything except play video games because that was the only time he got them. So we said, okay, we're going to give you an hourly allotment. And you can decide when that's going to be. But just boundaries. I think for us, and we could, you know, do it differently. But I think the thing is, if it's not equal, if one person is feeling like they're not ever getting to communicate because you bring work home or this and that, you know, like his, he's more of a TV person. And so, you know, sometimes he's watching TV that I really could care less about. But I'll be in the room with him, and I may be, you know, checking Pinterest for, you know, great recipes or whatever fun things I want to do. So we're not, you know, we're not really communicating, but we're together in in a way. Um, but I think some part of that is okay. It's kind of our downtime. As long as we have some other time, we tend to turn everything off and go upstairs and get our things ready for the next day and spend time. Like it may be, we may go upstairs an hour before we go to bed. And so that kind of is our time. You know, if we're doing it right up to bed and then I'll, you know, we haven't even had a time to talk. But we eat dinner every, we try when we can. TV's off. We turn the TV off. We don't answer the phone. The three of us sit and eat dinner now. And that was always a big deal for us as our kids were growing up. Now, Sports and every, there's seasons where, you know, family dinners, Chick Fil A every night. I ate pizza last night at nine o'clock. I don't suggest that, but <laughs> football was over and I was pick like, up yeah. a pizza on the way home from the football game. And ten o'clock, I was regretting that. <laughs> but, yeah. Maybe one more. 
did such a good job. Answer all the questions. Everybody's like, man, we're not about to ask something. Well, yeah, give a good ask. Thank you. I said this earlier, but it really is fun for us to be here. And I mean, we've had so many conversations with Charles and Julie as they were starting this and dreaming this, and it's just so fun to, for us to look around and see all these faces that I know, you know, when their dreams started with just a few and. Um, what a neat group y'all have and get to do life together. That's awesome. So we're glad we could be a part of it for one night. Well, Julie and I um, got to hear you guys in May in, on the West Coast do the same thing. And it's amazing, like, going back through it now. Like, um, comparing what you know about yourself to what you don't know about others. Not assigning motives. That 15-minute no new information zone. Um, and then the bag of chips. Thank God. <laughs> those four things, like those have made their, their way, I mean, into our conversation and our relationships and, you know, our relationship in the last four or five months. Um, those are common phrases. That's right. Don't you sign modes. Um, but uh, anyway, it's been really helpful for us, and I'm, I'm glad that you guys could share that with everybody. And to your last point about... Don't be afraid to ask for help. Um, one of the reasons that we invited couples like the Van Rienens on purpose tonight and we're having it in the Ballard's house with the spirit of Melinda you know, here with us, but Tommy hosting, these are veterans um, in marriage. And they have been, they've been married for a long time. How long have you guys been married? 32. 32? What about y'all? 45. 45. Okay. <laughs> oh, 44. Keep looking at <laughs> <laughs> so, so you've got, um, if it's 44, that's what, 66 years of combined marriage between, did I add that right? Yeah, 76. So lots of years. I'm good at math, right? Um, and all that to say, um, if you have questions or if you, if you need mentoring or wise counsel or you just want to talk about relationships, um, the Van Rienens and the Ballers want to be available for that. So um, certainly if you feel like you have some counseling tune-ups that you need to do, Julie and I have not been beyond that ourselves. Um, but on the level of cultivating relationships with some veterans in marriage, we highly recommend the Van Rienens and the Ballers. Um, they have art, they've blessed us in a lot of ways. So I uh, want to put that out there for you guys. And I promise that's not the... First time the Mandarins and the Ballers are hearing about it. <laughs> 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 it just said you can. <laughs> 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 uh, and I think before we close out, Julie, do you want to say a final benediction and pray for the hatches and then pray us out? You got to sing for us. Oh, I'll stand up over here. This is very exciting for me because. These are my people, and these are my people, and it's good to have them together, and um, I just encourage you to seek out people in your life like this is a safe place that you can ask for help, and he will help you grow, and Charles and I, I mean, have been married almost 12 years, and we have, not a perfect, but a really great marriage because of resources like this, and um, things that we tuck away for, maybe we're not dealing with it right when we hear it. But um, it will inevitably rear its head, and we, we fall back on these things so that we're not drowning when those waves hit. And I just want to encourage you to do the same, and 
um, to save this if it's not something you're dealing with right now because you know if you haven't struggled yet just keep living because you will and um, and these kind of things will be a, a net of God's word for you to fall on God I just thank you for this night and um, all the relationships I have with people in this room and um, God how good you are to fill our lives with people and um, who who won't let us live alone or without community or um, that we're left flat to flounder on our own when we don't know which way to go or um, how to keep things from getting stagnant or how to keep things from getting worse or how to keep things going better. Um, God, but that we can um, live in community with each other and look at your word and we can live life together and um, have better marriages and better relationships than um, just, you know, kind of blah and that they can be good and fruitful, God, because it's, it's marriage is like Christ loving the church. We know you want it to be rich and wonderful and full mm-hmm. and abundant. And I just pray that this time tonight could be um, kind of a catapult for us to live a more richer, abundant life in our marriages and our relationships, and that you would walk with us and guide us and just help us to live beyond ourselves as we um, live with other people. To your name we pray, amen. amen. amen.